Okay, 16 minutes, let's go. We just talk and talk. Welcome to the extended edition. This week, uh, that show Jimmy's watching. <laughs> what show Jimmy's watching? Uh, fringe. <laughs> what, you're not watching it? <laughs> oh man, I was really getting away with that. <laughs> so you just listen to me say the synopsis and then just hedging your bets and just saying facts and stuff. And, right. No, I just listened to Observing the Pattern and uh, rip them off. <laughs> Actually, there was a thread on um, Reddit on Fringe uh, about podcasts, and I wanted to be like, we, we've got a Fringe well, podcast. Well, you should have. Why didn't you? But then I... W- modesty. But you... We're supposed to put it out there and get people to listen, you tit. I, I thought we were doing the other thing. I thought it was more of an art installation. <laughs> Martin, we want people to listen. Then why are we talking about Fringe instead of that Kardashian thing that has all those viewers? Because I'd rather poke out my own eyes and stick them up my arse than talk about the Kardashians. I mean, to be... I, f- to- I feel unclean just saying the name. <laughs> Almost 18 minutes. I'm waiting on you. I, I, I was about to, and you said, Welcome to the extended edition! <laughs> right. <clears throat> Levity. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's go. <clears throat> Welcome to Fringe Division. Weird is a matter of degrees. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, spoiler-free podcast rewatch thing of the TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 14, Ability. It was written by David H. Goodman and directed by Norberto Barba. That's, that's some name. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Did you say where it aired? No, that's not a thing I do anymore. Why? Gets me in trouble. Why? I see, yeah, three episodes ago for details. What are you talking about, Martin? You leaving my flubbing. Um, oh, for God. Just say, just say the date, Martin. Well, no, because it's in February and that's got a second R that confuses me. What, same February? Yeah. So you, but you've already said February. You just said it to me a minute ago, Martin. Well, you can cut it together then, can't you? But you didn't... Martin, just say the fucking date. I just assumed that if I did, like, ten of these episodes, you'd be able to use everything I'd said in some sort of voice synthesizer <laughs> and just type my lines out. <laughs> I, I want to cry. <laughs> say the date, Martin. It's like Manic Depressive Freddy. <laughs> It aired February 10th, 2009. Right. 
Jesus wept, Martin. It aired February 10th, 2009. Right. Jesus wept, Martin. <laughs> oh. And people wonder why these episodes are so, so fucking short. Show short? Right. Is this going to take much longer? Because I've kind of got plans this evening. Martin! <laughs> Brevity. Right. You're just... See, you're just being... Mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Martin, episode 14. Episode 14. We're here. But should we have come? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And that's personal. I'd rather not speak about it. So, Martin, what did you think of episode 14 this is one of my favorite episodes so far i really enjoyed this one it felt like all the things that had been hinting at are actually coming together into a wider story nice did you like it i did yeah i did i know we said this before but it's so weird watching this again with um jared harris being a massive star and not that guy from fringe Mm mm-hmm yeah See, I'd forgotten a lot about... You had side effects uh, from the teleporting and stuff. I'd forgotten all about that. And I'd actually forgotten that they introduced this element of the story this soon. And unintroduced his element. Yes, but what does that mean? What? (laughs) Unintroduced his element. He's not coming back anytime soon, is he? I don't know. He's alive. But not very well. No, but he's still alive and he escaped like the fucking Joker. Let's not speculate, because I seriously, honestly do not remember when we see him again. If indeed we do. And I hope we do. I thought something uh, that happens later was happening at the end of this episode, but then Mm. it wasn't. Right, okay. The plot. We actually open with scenes from in which we meet Mr. Jones. No, it's not. What is it? What's the one where... It's not that one. It's the other one. The second one Mr. Jones was in. Yes. Yes. Um, it opens with that, um, with the, with Sarek getting his neck snapped. Mm-hmm. If you took all that out, I think this would be the shortest intro, shortest open to the, the show so far. So, Olivia Dunham arrives at Walter Bishop's lab to find Walter making a mould of Jean's udders. What a weird guy. I know. You just know that in the writer's room they had a whiteboard with lists of weird things Walter can be doing. Yeah. They probably did, actually, yeah. I would. Uh, and um, Roberto Orsi probably walked in and saw it and was like, oh, God, why is Gene the cow written there? <laughs> that means we'll have to get the fucking cow back on set. <laughs> Whose idea was that? Right. Why didn't we shoot it like Firefly with uh, green screen cows? Yeah. That, I mean, that is... That is a bit stupid, isn't it? Having a cow in the show on set. It just seems a bit odd. But then again, Walter. Mm-hmm. Olivia shares that German authorities questioned her about David Robert Jones and his recent escape. Walter remembers that Jones was working with Mitchell Loeb, the man who stole an invention he had made years earlier and hid in the safe deposit box. Yeah, we know this. Right. Olivia asked... Can I uh, break um, the format and drop in a bit of uh, trivia early? Yeah, 
Go for it. Denham characterises David Robert Jones' escape as having star-trekked himself out of a maximum security prison. Teleportation is a science fiction theme made popular by the Star Trek television and movie franchise over the past four decades. The latest Star Trek movie was released on May 8th, 2009 and written by the creative staff behind Fringe. Ah, yeah, that's true. Also, you keep calling her Denim and not Dunham. What? <laughs> Olivia, you called her Denim. You said Denim instead of Dunham when you were reading, when you were saying that. Isn't this the IT Crowd podcast? No, you're in the wrong room, mate. It's down the hall to the left. <laughs> right. Brevity. I know. Um, Olivia asks what or what exactly that invention was. Um, oh, so she doesn't know. <laughs> mm. Okay, I thought she would have known that. Um, so, yeah. She doesn't pay attention. No, she doesn't. So it was a time machine thing. Yeah. Um, You'd think she'd remember going to bloody X-Men school, but apparently not. No, exactly. Um, they would require weeks in a decompression tank to survive, and even then would suffer adverse side effects. I wonder if we'll come back to that later. Yeah. Maybe. You know I'm going to leave in all that talk about you fucking up Dunham's name, right? Yeah. Yeah. You leave it all in. You tricked me, Jimmy Brune. I don't leave it all in. It's just for fun, Martin. I can't... I mean, we're not perfect human beings. We make mistakes. I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. At our warehouse... At her warehouse? At a warehouse... A small group of men stand around a massive tank as its door is opened, releasing gas and pressure. Out steps Jones. He briefs his team, thanking them all for their sacrifices. Although calm and collected, Jones is visibly shaking. So that would be those adverse side effects that Walter was talking about then, eh? It's also possible that the teleporter only created a copy of him killing the original. Yeah, that's why there was a big burn mark in the room. He was just like... That you totally noticed the first time. Yeah, I totally noticed the first time. I really didn't. I was too busy looking at Sarek's bare body, um, apart from underwear. Because I was just like, is that is that him? Is that like just shot from this, that episode and then put in here? Or did they get him back to lie down dead? Or is it a double? I'm still baffled by David Robert Jones getting Sarek to buy a suit from his tailor, but in... Sarek's size yeah because he had the intent of nicking it yes I do like that there is actually consequences though Mm -hmm. for the teleporting it would be a bit too powerful if uh, if they could just do that willy nilly from here on out yeah exactly yeah at a Boston newsstand, a man with latex gloves picks up a paper and drops a $2 bill. The clerk, Thomas Avery, puts the bill in the register as he chats with another customer, Joanne. Don't know why Joanne was named, She's, we don't see her again. Um, his eyes begin to form a gooey mucus and then slowly begin to cover with skin. The man panics as his eyes, nostrils and mouth seal over and suffocates him. Doesn't this usually mean that you're in the Matrix? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that as well, actually. That's probably where they got it from. This was pretty cool for a weird fringe thingy. It's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's much scarier than invisible butterflies. That's true, although less beautiful. Yes. At the Federal Building, Charlie Francis tells Philip Broyles he's found financial records for Salmon Cole. Um, or Cole. Sarek. 
Sarek, yeah. Jones's attorney. Apparently he kept a slush fund under an assumed name to use on his client's behalf. Which I don't think is legal, Martin. It's okay. He's got a good lawyer. <laughs> well, not anymore. No. No. He snapped his neck and left him lying there half naked so Jimmy could stare at his body and wonder if it's actually him. At a military installation, armed guards bring out a shackled Mitchell Loeb to meet with Olivia. She says she knows he and Jones were working together and that he must know Jones' whereabouts. But Loeb won't cooperate in spite of Olivia's threat to transfer Loeb to a more dangerous prison. Were you happy to see uh, Loeb back? I couldn't care less. He's a bit of a wank baddie, isn't he? It's like, I don't think they did much to establish him, you know, when he was undercover. And it's a bit like, oh, that guy from the background was a traitor all along, yawn. They should have made it Charlie. Yeah, they should have, actually. That would have been genius. Because we know Charlie. Yeah. Um, and it would have given him something to fucking do. Yeah, because Mitchell Loeb, we don't meet him until that episode. And then he has the worm thingy in his heart. Um, That's the first time we meet him. It would have been better if we met him, like, a couple of times before. Yeah. Um, Or, indeed, if it was Charlie. That would have been... And I've been thought about that. Good idea, Martin. Thank you. Yeah. Instead, he tells her it doesn't matter whether she finds Jones because he's just part of um, the army and that what was written will come to pass and nothing Olivia does can change that. Then Olivia receives a phone call summoning her to the hospital. Did you spot the observer, by the way? I did, yes. You couldn't really miss him. I was going to wait until we got to the facts, but we could talk about it if you want just now. Um, I think it was the most obvious one they've done so far. It is. It really is. He's just like... Right, right in front at, of the camera. Looking right into the camera. Just being like, Hello, it's me, from episode four. <laughs> That's a great impression. I thought so. Yeah. At Boston General Hospital, Bryles briefs Olivia and Peter on the case of the Skindover Newsman. <laughs> Fringe Division and the case of the Skindover Newsman. Oh. <laughs> Walter examines the body and concludes that the... The lipids responsible for the scone... The scone. <laughs> Fuck's sake, Jimmy. Responsible for the skin growth have somehow mutated and sealed off all body orifice, bodily orifices. Olivia suspects this is Jones's work. You get episodes where they clearly want to move um, the overall mythology along, but they still need a case of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't want... You know, we've seen Case of a Week episodes which sort of we don't care about. We want to watch, you know, the overall story unfold. Mm-hmm. And they do a really good job here of, yeah, there's a case happening, but what's happening with David Robert Jones and the teleporter, that's more interesting. Yeah, but they also like the book, the two of them, so... Yeah. It's to, to keep it, to keep the plot actually going. It's like, yeah, this is actually Robert Jones doing this. It was a test to see if, it, if he could actually do it. Olivia Poole's... Peter Bishop. <laughs> He'd be so lucky. Yeah, yeah. Olivia pulls Peter Bishop aside and relays what Loeb told her about um, what was written. She has a hunch, maybe ZFT, which um, they thought was the name of Jones's terrorist organisation, might actually be the name of their Bible. Olivia's already contacted the German authorities to investigate the possibility and they found references to a document to, by the name... Yeah, okay... <laughs> 
sehr strong durch Fortschite der Technology. There, I done it. Um, which translate to destruction by advanced of technology. Um, I apologise to any German listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'm Scottish and can barely speak English, so I apologise. Uh, are you still there, man? Yes, I was just enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, a dick. Right, the document, a rare self-published manuscript, was recovered from a crime scene and inventoried, but was destroyed ten years ago. Or was it? Olivia wonders if Peter might have any weird connections um, that could get their hands on another copy. Peter believes he does. This bit really irked me, I have to say, because you're looking for, you know, like the sci-fi equivalent of it, like the Anarchist's Manifesto or what have you, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be a PDF attachment on some backdated message board. It's not going to be in a dusty bookshop. Yeah, it it doesn't make much sense. But um, I do like the playful sort of conversation between Peter and Olivia. Mm -hmm. Like when he says to her, you're always a little weird. Actually, Olivia is pretty upbeat in this episode. Yeah, I guess it's a different writer. Yeah, I mean... Right from the beginning, um, when she comes in and um, she said, oh, I was speaking to the, the German authorities about Ro- David Robert Jones, but she's still, you know, she's happy and mm-hmm. she's very upbeat in this episode. I really liked her. And I picked up the wrong thing to read. Right. In the lab, Astrid and Walter perform some tests on the orifice-less body to recover any available evidence. They cut open the man's mouth and capture the putrid gas in an IV bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter visits Edward Markham, the crusty proprietor of a used bookstore. I thought he was calling him Martin. Yeah, I had to rewind it a couple of times so I could write down what the guy's name was. And then I, I didn't realise, well, I forgot that I would actually be fucking reading it anyway. <laughs> um, so I didn't have to write the name down. Um, so this this actor, I don't know the actor's name. But he plays basically the same character here as he does in The Blacklist. He's like a shady... Clark Middleton. Is it? Excellent. He plays sort of like a shady dude in The Blacklist as well. Peter tells Markham about the ZFT transcript and asks if he can find it for him ASAP. If anyone can find this document, it's Markham. Yeah, and he does. Hooray! On a shelf, in his shop. That's where most unpublished essays end up. Exactly. I like Olivia's reaction to um, when Peter says that she's just a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're still doing this little flirty thing. And she's open to it. I like the I-can-guess-what-book-you're-reading bit. Yeah. At the Federal Building, Charlie believes he may have found something. Jones's attorney leased a warehouse whose power had been cut until two weeks back. When it was turned on again. It's not him that finds that, though. No. No, it's the young FBI dude who dies later that finds it. So they're not even mentioning them here. Not even giving the dignity of letting you know that he was in another scene before he dies. They're not even giving him a bloody name like Joanne from the newsstand. I know, why does she get a name? I don't even know if this guy is named later on, but he's not here. So, you know, that's annoying. He's not even mentioned here. As Broyles makes a call to have the place readied, an agent comes in and interrupts. She tells him David Robert Jones is in the lobby. Broyles races downstairs. Well, he doesn't really, does he? He just sort of 
stands in the landing. Strolls. Yeah. Jones calmly announces that he'll only speak to Agent Olivia Dunham. Or Denham. I like how he is the only one who doesn't get down when they're clearly screaming it at him. Yeah, exactly. Nobody else does. Yeah. So cool. Um, Sanford Harris, Philip Broyles and Olivia Dunham watch Jones sitting in an interrogation room from an observation room. Broyles reveals that when they searched his person they found only a key. Olivia wants to speak with Jones but Harris says that Jones doesn't get to dictate the terms of his captivity. Olivia points out that since Jones has been in town one man has died in a gruesome fashion and that Jones likely has more terror planned. But Harris refuses to let Dunham interrogate Jones until she gets hard evidence connecting him to the event at the newsstand. I kind of agree with Harris. You do? Yeah. And do you know why? Why? Because he doesn't have the exact same information as Olivia does. He's he's thinking of this from a, um, an FBI point of view or whatever he is. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. From an NSA point of view or whatever. He's he's thinking of it from that point of view, that she doesn't have any hard evidence. For all Harris knows, she just doesn't like this man. Yeah. He's still a dick, but he doesn't have the same information as she does. No, that's true. Um, En route to the warehouse leased by Jones's attorney, Olivia gets a call from Peter. Markham found a copy of the ZFT manuscript in someone's collection of scientific... Ephemera. Ephemera, thank you, Martin. He reads an excerpt which states the advances of science will, if, well, if not carefully controlled, destroy the world as we know it. Which is true, actually. Um, the book goes on to assert that this apocalypse will take the form of warfare. War, Martin. What's it good for? Absolutely nothing. See it again. As the FBI unit sweeps the warehouse, Olivia finds a drawing of herself on a desk. She knows immediately this is Jones's work. Charlie orders the team to bag and tag everything. Did they say the, the, <laughs> the drawing? No, she just knows. Yeah, she knows. Because of her light bulb magic. At the Federal Building, Harris has a go at interrogating Jones, who alludes to the fact that he killed a newsstand man. Then Jones brazenly says that he'll require a few items when Agent Dunham comes to visit him. A standard walkie-talkie, a ballpoint pen, an eyeglass repair kit and an analogue watch like the one Harris is wearing. Back at the warehouse, Agent Kent... There he is! Whee! Agent Kent finds a $2 bill in a desk drawer upstairs. Olivia and Charlie downstairs hear the young agent's screams. They arrive to find the agent's mouth, nose and eyes covering with skin, suffocating him to death. Olivia performs an emergency trick like that. They did a really good uh, use of the $2 bill yeah. uh, with the newspaper guy mentioning it and then it being seen again here because it's just unusual enough that you're like, oh, it's the same thing without it being needlessly quirky. Yeah, exactly. And the agent appears to have been saved until the skin grows over the hole in the trick tube and he dies. That was fucking terrifying. Yeah. Because I thought he was saved. I thought, that's, yeah. you know, good old Olivia. Mm-hmm. Um, but, ugh, no. But if it did happen, you wouldn't have to worry about vomiting. This is true. Olivia and Charlie arrive back at Task Force headquarters as Harris drops his watch into a paper bag with the items Jones requested. Olivia interrogates Jones, who coughs sporadically, clearly not well. It was nice to see um, Harris taken down a peg or two after uh, acting like he's the big I am for a couple of episodes. Yeah. But without actually breaking his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
He removes the items from the bag and takes apart the walkie-talkie and Harris's watch. Using all the components, he quickly fashions a bizarre device. Once it's complete, he switches it on and sends squealing feedback into the surveillance room. Right, so Harris says that's a thousand dollar watch. So one, why did you give it to him? And two, why the fuck do you have a thousand dollar watch? He's exactly the sort of guy who would have a thousand dollar watch. I had no problem believing that. No, I know, I know, but I just wanted to call call him out on it. Because he gave him the watch. What did they expect was going to happen? I am rather surprised he didn't just order an underling to give them their watch. Exactly. Oh, they're probably digital, though. But I was wondering if there wasn't a um, going to be a moment where he goes out of his way to break the watch rather than just taking the pin out. Yeah. Jones tells Olivia that they're now alone. Um, he's jamming the surveillance feed. He tells Olivia that he's planning a far bigger attack using the same method that killed the field agent and the newsman. But before he gives any details, he needs for Olivia to take the key that was confiscated from him to an amusement park in Salem, uh, where she will find a package he left for her. It's like that Dan Brown book, isn't it? <laughs> Which one? All of them. Yeah. Jones then shudders in pain and Olivia suggests he needs medical attention. He explains that there's no medical specialist who could help him being deconstructed and reassembled at a molecular level uh, seems to have certain unadvertised side effects. Olivia demands to know about the attack. Jones explains that a device capable of killing hundreds has been transported somewhere in a white cargo van and will detonate in 16 hours. Olivia, thinking she has um, some leverage, tells Jones that she won't complete the test until he defuses the bomb. Jones says no, she will defuse the bomb. It's not often an episode can get away with saying exactly what's about to happen yeah. and then have it happen. Yeah. On our way to Salem, Olivia checks in with Peter. He explains that the toxin used to kill the two victims so far triggers hyperactivity in the protein responsible for scar tissue. As Olivia arrives at the amusement park and retrieves a package, Walter reads an excerpt from the manifesto and voiceover. According to the manifesto, our universe is only one of many and that it is possible to travel from one to another. Um, the means of such travel has already been discovered by, the be- by beings much like us, but whose history is slightly ahead of our own. The repercussions of such travel will manifest themselves as a series of unnatural occurrences, starting small and growing in severity until ultimately only one world will survive. I wonder if that means anything, man. It's an interesting concept, to be sure. <laughs> You know, I wonder if there's some way to uh, travel, or should I say, slide between these universes. Mm. I'm sure it will never be mentioned again. I don't remember a lot about this show, apparently. I remember things like Olivia's superpower, apparently, and the the war thing being mentioned, but I didn't remember that it was this soon. No. Because I thought like, the entire first season was more of a, a pattern thing of the week. But no, it's, it's, they're actually going deep, uh, you know, right into the mythology right away. Oh, absolutely. In the lab, Astrid and Peter unpack the box Olivia achieved from the park. The letter says that the box contains a number of tests to evaluate the inherent skills present in certain individuals. Olivia must complete test number one, then go to see Jones so no one else will die. The instructions for test one say the recruit must sit in front of a wooden box that 
houses an array of lights. In short, Olivia must turn the lights off with her mind. Ooh. Yeah. Walter points out that the term recruit appears in the manifesto as a reference to future soldiers in the, incoming, in the coming battle. Olivia, despite her scepticism, focuses intently on the lights, but her ringing phone breaks her concentration. That was a cheap gag. Mm-hmm. Charlie tells her someone rented a white van in Olivia's name to New Haven, Connecticut. Olivia, now believing this is just a mind game Jones is playing, pays him a visit. What did you think of the uh, light test? Back is a dot. I like how they leave it open enough that uh, it could be smoke and mirrors, or there could be something else afoot. Yeah, even at the end. Yeah. Olivia talks of Jones and admits she didn't complete the test. Jones says it's normal for her to be sceptical. To be fair, the phone rang. Broke a concentration. I would totally watch a show which was about people pretending they'd escaped from a prison with a teleporter, but actually just dug a tunnel and lied and made FBI agents think they were psychic with mm. cheap tricks and nonsense. Jones tells Olivia that she was one of a small group of people few treated that doesn't make any sense with a drug called Cortexafan. That sure sounds like a drug to me. It does indeed, yeah. It could be. That's why they kidnapped her confirmation of Cortexafan. Uh, dozing requires a spinal tap. Olivia refuses to play Jones's game anymore, but Jones insists that Olivia must cooperate and suddenly passes out. Jones is rushed to the lab for some reason, where Walter rushes to stabilise him. We've got to use our characters sooner or later. We've got them all on salary. Exactly. Astrid needs something to do mm-hmm. rather than be nosy and go on computers. <laughs> Olivia is just getting off the phone with Charlie, who's informed her that Cortexafan is a drug patented by Massive Dynamic. Twist! Yep. Uh, Olivia tells Peter that Jones is still expecting her to pass the test, and she wants Peter to rig it. Peter agrees. At Massive Dynamic, Olivia meets with Nina Sharp. Who? Yeah, she was in the last episode. I don't know why I was in it. Was it last episode or the episode before? I can't remember. And asks her about Cortexafan. Nina says that the drug's clinical trials were performed by Massive Dynamic founder William Bell in order to test his theory that the young brain is infinitely capable of absorbing information at birth but becomes increasingly limited with age. I did notice that it is her right arm, which is robotic. Yeah, I think she used her left to get into the thing, though, that time. Yeah, I don't know, but I think it was. Because it would make sense... Wait, no... Her right. It was her right. Yeah, she used her right. Anyway, who cares? That was a while ago. Cortexafan was administrated by two young children, sorry, not by young children, that would be weird, um, in the hope that it would limit this degradation. Degra- degradation, that. Uh, but the drug was only administrated in one trial in Ohio in 1981. But, you know, Olivia says, no, couldn't have been me. I was three years old and living in Jacksonville. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Peter informs Olivia that he successfully rigged the light box. Hooray! Yay! Uh, Walter uses an injection to wake up Jones, who thanks Walter for the incredible work that allowed him to escape his imprisonment. So he's a Walter groupie. Yes. Walter tells Jones that he locked away the teleporter for a reason. Mm. One which Jones is now experiencing. Uh, with only two hours before Jones's device goes off, uh, Olivia performs the light box test in front of Jones. Peter's rigged job works like a charm. Charm. So Olivia. That's the word you wanted to repronounce. I know. I've. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck you. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she appears to pass the test. A please Jones gives her an address of a building 
and says the device is on the 47th floor. Olivia calls on evacuation. Olivia arrives at the scene where Charlie tells her the bomb squad can't defuse the bomb because they've never seen anything like it. When, the, when she sees the bomb secured to a window overlooking the city, she realises the front panel of the bomb is a light box identical to the one in the test. That's quite fucking clever. Yeah. yeah. I like that twist. That was a nice moment. Yeah. This is a very well written episode, I have to say. Especially after some of the episodes we've had this season. Yeah. Peter realises that when the bomb blows, the toxin will spread for miles. Charlie goes to alert the weather service and FEMA. Olivia calls the lab and pleads with Jones to tell her how to disarm the bomb. Sorry, I was just uh, confused about how he was going to alert the weather service. Oh, report the winds going this way. But actually in the episode it makes more sense because it's like, let's find out what the weather's doing. Yeah. But this is a bit hastily written. Yes. She can't turn the lights off with her mind, and if she stays to try, she's going to die. Jones knew she faked the test earlier, but now she has to pass it for realses. Olivia (laughs) orders everyone out. Peter tries to talk her out of it, but she ignores him. Peter runs to the lift, just like you're not supposed to do in an emergency. Meanwhile, Olivia focuses on the light box, and Peter, realising he's not supposed to get in a lift when there's trouble, returns to watch. All sound disappears, her focus becomes complete. And, gradually, one by one, all the lights go out. Yay! It did look like when they cut from all the lights being on to her face, like the lights had gone off Mm -hmm. which I think would have been a really cool way of doing it Mm -hmm. but then they stretched it out because you know 50 minute run times yeah I take umbrage with the fact it says Peter runs to the left well Peter runs to the exit Mm because he doesn't run he walks pretty casually it must be said yeah exactly afterwards Olivia insists she didn't do anything Jones planned the lights to turn out just in time it was just a mind game Peter for a change is not the sceptic um, he saw that Olivia was in the zone and something amazing happened. I thought that was a really nice moment that they're not just like, oh, cool, you're an X-Men now. Exactly. There's still scepticism there. Yeah. Um, which I like. This is just getting introduced to us like 14 episodes in. Mm-hmm. They're sort of gradually doing it just to sort of ease us into it. <laughs> that she may have superpowers. Between this and the instant family, there's... Quite a lot in Fringe you'd expect to be introduced much earlier. I think if it was being made today, I can't see how they wouldn't set up the parallel universe from the pilot. Mm-hmm. But then saying that, you've no idea if they even knew there would be a parallel universe at the pilot stage. Yeah, but did we not establish that the Observer is from a parallel universe in episode 4. Just because we established the Observers from a parallel universe doesn't mean they didn't just say stick a guy in a weird hat there but that was and episode... we'll figure it out later. But that was episode 4. Which would have been months after the pilot. Yeah, well, you're right. You're right. They probably didn't really establish where it was going to go until episode 2 where they get back into the room after they get given the green light. I don't know if you're mocking me or not. No? Okay. I mean, I don't want to uh, say that J.J. Abrams doesn't plan things out far in advance, Mm -hmm. as the recent Star Wars trilogy shows us. (laughs) True. Uh, Meanwhile, David Robert Jones has been transported to Boston General, and Olivia goes to visit him, but when she arrives... But not in a teleporter way. Transported, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but when she arrives in his room, she finds an enormous hole torn out of the wall and a note scrawled in the wall saying, um, F you, Batman. No, uh, with a note scrawled in the wall saying, you passed. Jones has escaped yet again. How did he write that? Because it wasn't with a pen, not even a Sharpie is that thick. I know, I don't know what that is. Has he got some sort of paintbrush? <laughs> It'd be funny if he wrote it in poop. Later, Walter... Oh, by the way, I love the... Just, like, she walks into the room and you just sort of see, like, a, a defeated look in her face and then cut to a massive hole in the wall. <laughs> I liked the way that was done. Later, Walter reads the manifesto alone in the lab. As he reads, we notice that every lowercase y in the book is curiously raised. At her apartment, Olivia receives another spectacle from Nina Sharp, who tells her that it turns out there was another much smaller clinical trial of cortexafan in 1981 in Jacksonville, Florida. Dun dun dun! Exactly. Do you think Nina just found out about that, or is she playing games? She had to know one, come on. But then again, we don't really know because they, I, I don't know if they know what they're doing with Nina Sharp. It's like one episode she's evil and another episode she's nice. She's like bloody Captain Janeway. <laughs> Is Janeway evil? Uh, in some of the episodes, yeah. How, how so? Well, she ties people up and tortures them for information. What is she? She's one of those captains. Mm. I'm glad that when we see Walter reading the manifesto at the end that he's not reading it in the crapper like he said he was earlier. <laughs> yes, that was good. Apparently, uh, Olivia is at home alone because there's no Rachel or Ella. I was quite happy. They've probably nipped out to the movies. Yeah, she wasn't sitting there and Rachel come in and go, Hey, I remember I'm still here. You still haven't brushed your teeth. (laughs) I hate being lied to, Ella. Oh, Peter's cute. In the lab, Walter pulls a dusty tin box from the closet. I'm not interested in your sister. Why do men always lie to me? He opens it to reveal an old typewriter. Walter sets it down and loads a sheet of paper paper into it. He slowly types one word, ability, and as the last character appears, he sees it as a curiously raised Y. Why, Martin? I thought he was doing something else with the typewriter, but I can't talk about that. Yeah, exactly. Can't talk about that. Season two. Episode done. Do you have... A Walter line of the week, Martin? Of course I have a Walter line of the week. I'm not a monster. Yeah. It's the bit where it's like the teleporter's got side effects. I got rid of it for a reason. Because Walter was a bit of a badass then. And we don't get to see Walter be much of a badass because he's so Walterish. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, okay, I'm going to lower the <laughs> lower it a little by my Walter line of the week. That is putrid... On a separate topic, do you like coffee cake? Good. Although, I do like Peter's delivery of, well, to put the cow away, will ya? <laughs> do you have any more facts to tell us, Martin? It's the first time we see Walter type on his portable typewriter. <laughs> As of this episode, Mark Valley's name no longer appears in the opening credits. Smiley face. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Fuck is that smiley face? <laughs> oh, I hate his name being there. It's rubbish. <laughs> but there you go yeah that's interesting I didn't notice that usually the, that fact says um, Mark ba- despite being an open credits Mark Valley wasn't in this episode but no this is, he's no longer in open credits mm. so last episode was the final episode for Mark Valley as a regular on French and we didn't even notice it Martin we didn't even notice it no 
But then he was in that a lot. Yes. That episode, anyway. This week, the glyphs read out Olivia. <gasps> dun dun dun! Or dun num dun num dun num. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite pleased with some of that, actually. Right. So the next episode, we're going to be talking about episode 15, and it's called Inner Child. It goes a bit crap for a few, but then we get to the season finale, and that's quite good. And then once we get to season two, we're pretty much away. Hooray! Um, does it get crap? I can't remember. Yeah, no, I can't. Uh, I think the next episode's good. Just a f- just seconds before a building is demolished, a mysterious mute child that has been living alone underground is discovered. Do you have anything else to say about this episode before we wrap up, Martin? It was good. Thank you. That's all we have time for. Shiftybench.co.uk is the website. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk is the email address. Where can people find you on the internet, Martin? At the Thaldor on Instagram and Twitter. Excellent. Thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Cheers.